And so, uh, Lord, we, we ask that you'd move here now in our midst, Lord, as your church, as your people. Um, but, Lord, I'm also praying for those that came in without a church home and those who are uh, bewildered because of the things that happened uh, recently at, the, at another church or something like that. Lord, for those that came in without uh, really knowing you at all, Lord, we're, I'm praying that this morning that they would have a sense of being welcome here. And Lord, that, that we're happy that they're here. Lord, may they feel at home. But Lord, may they hear your word and may, may they hear what you have to say to them through your gospel. And Lord, would you work here today? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So glad that you're here this morning to be a part of uh, Outward Church and what we're doing here. Um, and uh, we'll get going here in just a, a few moments. Um, you know, we have a children's area back here. Uh, you might have noticed if you're around that area or around that side of the building at all, um, there, there are, we are in the midst of a little bit of remodeling, a little bit of construction, um, that type of stuff. We closed off one doorway, opened up another doorway, added a wall. Um, and uh, we, your kids are actually back there working on that right now. I don't know if you know this, but uh, it's a great way to put them to work, and they're okay with power tools, I think, probably. But um, no, so that's, that's going on back there. But, um, you know, we, our, our children's area does really great. We have a ton of volunteers. Brandon Haverlin, who leads that area, um, does a fantastic job of, of leading volunteers and things like that. If you've worked with him at all, you know that he's a great guy to work with. Uh, we want to take children's ministry to the next level, and what that would require is, uh, in order to make it even better, would be uh, additional volunteers. And so some of you are here, you're new here, you're, you're just starting out, that kind of a thing. You're kind of trying to figure out how to get plugged in. And we just want to encourage you to try something. Uh, if, you, if you were to sign up and go through the background check and stuff like that, um, there's no obligation. I know this sounds like an infomercial, and it is really, but um, there's no obligation. You can uh, try it out, but um, it, it is an awesome thing to be a part of. And so I want to encourage you to sign up uh, through that by going to Outward.info, and then uh, scroll down. You'll see the Join a Team uh, deal. That's Children's Ministry as a Team. Give us your name and and phone number, I think it'll ask you a couple of other questions, and we'll contact you. You could also talk to Brandon if you know Brandon, or you could uh, go to Connect Central out there and just say, hey, I want to I wanna look at possibly getting involved here. It'd be a huge help, and it would en enable our ministry to go to the next level back there. So that's a, that's a plea uh, to be a, a part of things and not, not just hang out, but be a part of the community that's here. That's uh, one of the best ways that you can do that. And so, uh, we will get going here. Uh, we're going to be in, in Genesis uh, chapters, really chapters 42 through 45, uh, really ending on 45 and really spending, I think, most of our time there. Uh, so you can turn there. But we've been talking about the life of Joseph and everything that he has gone through. And ultimately, many of you know the story, but not everybody does. Uh, but the story is basically this. Joseph is uh, the youngest brother at the time. And his father really loves him and favors him. His brothers really hate him because he has these two dreams that make it sound like they're all going to be bowing down to him, including his mother and father. And so one day they sell him into slavery. And so they sell him into slavery, and he ends up in Potiphar's home. He gets uh, high up and, and really is commended for his hard work and his character and integrity until one day 
his uh, Potiphar's wife tries to uh, make a pass at him, and not just one day, but repeatedly, until finally uh, she accuses him of having tried to rape her. And so he's taken to prison again. And so here's this guy. He has been uh, just thrashed by his family. And here he is in prison, and he's, he's dealing with everything that's going on in prison. And again, he has character and integrity, and he's given a lot of responsibility until one day Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh, the king of that land, the king of Egypt, has a dream, and he does not know what to do with it. And so somebody says, hey, I, you know, uh, Joseph told me about my dream, and maybe he can help you. And so Joseph does. By the end of that day, Joseph is second in command of Egypt, and he is put in charge of this uh, great effort uh, to shore up their nation and really the whole world and ultimately of God's people uh, against a famine that is on its way. So they're going to have seven years of plenty and then they're going to have seven years of blight, seven years of famine. And so for seven years, they need to store up things. And so Joseph begins on this effort, and he begins to uh, gather grain from uh, various places, and he, he takes the extra, and he puts it away, and he stores it. And he uses great wisdom in doing this, looking towards the future and seeing the fact that things are going, the wheels are going to come off eventually. So he's storing food, he's storing food, he's storing food. And then we get to chapter uh, 42. And chapter 42 be, begins to tell us the story about how Joseph finally reunites with his family. And so it kind of goes back to Jacob, his father, and his brothers. And really what this story is telling us is it's telling us really how do we deal with uh, the realization that uh, things are not the way that, they, uh, that we think that they should have gone, but ultimately they fit into God's plan. And so when we talk about the book of Genesis, really the book of Genesis is originally written to Israel. And so Israel, God's people, were reading this. And they would sit around and read this and, and uh, probably sit in suspense as they read this to their, their kids, much like we should be doing as well as we do. And uh, they would be reading this story and they'd be sitting in suspense and they'd be listening to this and really what this story would be for Israel would be a commendation to them, an encouragement to say, hey, God's plans have not been thwarted because of the evil that's been perpetrated against you. In fact, Sidney Gradanus, who's a great commentator on this, uh, on this passage and others as well, said this, and this, this really stuck out to me. He, uh, he says this. He says, we formulated the author's goal as... As this, to comfort Israel with the message that the sovereign God is able to use even evil human deeds to fulfill his plan of preserving a remnant for Israel. So God can use even the evil that was perpetrated against Joseph to uh, actually preserve their family, to preserve the family Israel, God's people. He goes on to say this, the sermon goal can be similar as well to comfort the hearers with the message that the sovereign God is able to use even evil human deeds to accomplish salvation. So that's what he says there. And then he says this, which really uh, kind of got to me. This goal addresses the congregational need of people being so overwhelmed by current human evil that they have given up on God accomplishing his redemptive plan. Does that sound like a message we need today? You think about what's, what has happened over, uh, I think it was last week actually, 
between El Paso and then Dayton, Ohio, and the number of people that were killed there. And just the overwhelming sense of life is out of control. Like, where is this going? No matter where you fall, on the, people try to politicize this so many times on both sides. But no matter where you fall in that, we still have to look at it and say, this is evil. This is craziness. This is awful. What is God doing? Where is God? Why would he allow this? Why would he allow this to take place? And then we could look in multiple other places throughout our world, in our city and all the way around us. We could look all over the place and we could see all of this evil that is happening. We could point out things that our society is involved with. And some of us might have different definitions of what that is. But we can look around and we can say, God, where are you? In Israel, multiple times in its history, was sitting in slavery, was sitting in captivity, and they were saying, God, why are you allowing these evil people to succeed, to get away with this, to allow this thing to happen? And so I think it's a timely, timely message. When we left off last week, what we saw in chapter 41 was Pharaoh has designated, uh, designated Joseph as his second in command. And it ends the chapter by essentially saying that uh, in verse 36 of chapter, I'm sorry, 56 of chapter 41, it says, so when the famine had spread all over the land, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe all over the earth. So here's Joseph. He's in charge of this. The famine has begun. Joseph is now uh, uh, 37 years old. He was 30 years old when he was put in charge. They went through the seven years of plenty, and now the famine has begun. So he's 37 years old. Chapter 42, the beginning of it, goes back to Jacob, as I said. Jacob and the family, back at the ranch, if you will, with all the brothers who had uh, put him into slavery. And so it says this, chapter 42, verse 1, it says, When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you look at one another? Don't just stand there staring at each other. I hear there's grain in Israel or in uh, Egypt. You should go to Egypt so that we may live and not die. And so what do they do? They pick up and they go to Egypt. They come into Egypt and they have to come to Joseph himself. So here's his brothers. They come, uh, they come into Egypt and they have to see Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. And it says in verse 7 of 42, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them. Joseph remembers immediately when he sees his brother. It says just before this, I forgot to read it, that they bowed down their faces before him. And it fulfills the dream that he had dreamed, that God had given him. And so Joseph begins, and now he's confronted with the very people that have put him into slavery. And all of us have been in this situation. 
All of us have, have perhaps been in a situation where somebody has wounded us. Somebody has, uh, has done something to us. Or life has taken its toll. Or we've uh, experienced a disability or something like that. But we're confronted with the reality. We have to come face to face with those people. And how will we respond? How will we deal with that? And so it says that Joseph spoke roughly to them. And so you can begin to look at this passage and you can begin to see maybe that Joseph is beginning to exact revenge. He's like, I'm in charge here now. I'm just going to jack with my brothers a little bit here. And in fact, that's probably what I would do. I would figure out a way to smack them around a little bit. You know, I mean, like I've been here since I was 17. Now I'm in charge. Look who's the big man now. You're in trouble kind of a deal. I would probably get even. But Joseph speaks roughly to them. He accuses them of being spies. And they say in verse 21, in the midst of this exchange with Joseph, they say this. Then they said to one another, In truth we are guilty concerning our brother and that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, Did I not tell you not to sin against the boy? But you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. So here the brothers are. They're having a conversation in front of Joseph. And they're, they're saying, hey, listen, we, we should not have sent our brother into slavery. We should not have allowed this to happen to him. God is getting even with us, is basically what they're saying. And I think there's just a side note that we can make about this. That this was, was it 20? Yeah, 20 years earlier. 20 years earlier, these brothers all committed just a heinous act of selling their brother into slavery. And here they are, 20 years later, they have no idea that they are speaking in front of Joseph. And something bad happens to them. They, they're, they're beginning to be uh, castigated, if you will, by Joseph. And they're trying to tell him, no, we're not spies, we're honest men. And ultimately, they see this situation as being God getting them back for what they did to Joseph. Just think about that. The stuff in our past just comes back to haunt us. We think that we forget about it. We think that it's, that it's gone, that it's not there. But the stuff from our past always seems to come back, and it seems to haunt us, and it's on their mind as well. And so what does Joseph say? Joseph says, I want you to leave one of the brothers here. I want you to leave uh, Simeon here, and uh, the rest of you can go back. But if you come back, I want you to bring your youngest brother Benjamin, who is actually Joseph's full brother. They both have the same mom and the same father. So Joseph says, I'm taking Simeon, and you guys go back, and when you come back for food, do not come back here without Benjamin, because he wants to see his brother, but he still has not revealed who he is to them. 43, finally, they tell their father about this whole situation, and their father Jacob says, why did you, talk to, why did you tell him you had another brother? And they were like, how are we supposed to know this? What are we supposed to do? And so what happens is this, is Judah finally speaks up for his brother and says, Dad, I, I, will, 
Uh, it says in verse 9 of chapter 43, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If, it, if I do not bring Benjamin back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. And so Jacob finally says, okay, you can take him. Okay, you can take him. And so they go back, they take Benjamin, and they see Joseph in chapter 43 here. They see Joseph. Joseph finally meets his full brother, Benjamin, still does not tell them that I am Joseph. But they get their grain, and they finally go to leave, and Joseph has instructed one of them to put his cup, his royal cup that he drinks out of, he tells his servants to put his cup into Benjamin's bag, bag of grain. And so they put this cup into Benjamin's bag of grain, and they begin to travel away. And what happens is this, is that the, the servant of Joseph comes after them, and he says, he says, hey, why did you steal that cup? And they said, hey, we didn't steal a cup. You can check all of our bags. Whoever has it, uh, you can put him to death, and the rest of us will be your slaves. And so they check all their bags, and sure enough, they find it in Benjamin's bag. Why is Joseph doing this? Why is Joseph acting this way? Well, here we have again, we have all of the brothers, all of the other brothers, who are not in trouble per se. And here we have Benjamin, the youngest son again, the brother of Joseph. And it seems as though what Joseph is doing is he's testing them. He's testing them and he's saying this, he's saying, will you sell out your younger brother or will you give up yourself for him? Will you sell him out or will you give up yourself for him? And so they're very dismayed. And so what, what ends up happening is this, is in chapter 44, verse, verse 16, J Judah comes to his rescue. Now Judah is the brother who's not a very good brother. He's the one who slept with his daughter-in-law unwittingly as she dressed up like a prostitute. He's a guy who's sexually immoral. He's a guy who said, hey, uh, why don't we make a little money off of our brother? What, let's, you know, let's not kill him. Let's, let's make a little money, sell him into slavery. And so he's thinking, okay, let's make some money off of this evil deed. So here's Judah, who is a bad guy. And then all of a sudden, what we see here is kind of a transformation of Judah. In verse 16 of chapter 44, it says, And Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants. Behold, we and, also, and he also in whose hand the cup has been found. But Joseph said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose uh, hand the cup was found shall be my servant but as for you, you go up in peace to your father. Joseph has set this up perfectly, and he has said, all you have to do is you have to leave Benjamin here. And so Judah, the remainder of that passage is Judah making an impassioned plea, saying, listen, take me instead of Benjamin. Take me instead of Benjamin. I, I, just, my, I don't know what's going to happen with my father, if, if he were to go as well, his other brother is dead now, Joseph. 
And so chapter 45 begins with this. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out for me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his appearance. All of a sudden, Joseph just blurts out and he says, I'm Joseph. Is that okay? I mean, think about what this guy has gone through for so many years. Thinking, is my dad dead? Is, you know, is it okay with my family? Where's my brother? He finally gets to meet him. And he's overwhelmed with emotion. He begins to cry and he just sends all of his other servants out and he speaks to just his brothers. And they're dismayed because all of a sudden they're confronted with something. And that is that the guy that we sold into slavery is in charge of all things. The guy that we sold into slavery is in charge of everything. And the thing about it is that there's no amount of the good that they could do at this point that could make it even better. And so they're dismayed. It's like mouth wide open, and they're just like, holy cow. I mean, think about all of the things that are going through their mind right now. This guy could put us to death in an instant, our brother whom we sold into slavery. And this is where I wanted to get today. 45 verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. You sold me, but God sent me. You sold me, but actually, God's the one that sent me. I love that statement so much because of this. In some ways, I'm just a revenge addict. Like, I love movies that are really mostly about revenge. I don't call it revenge, I call it justice. Which is a nice way of saying revenge. And I want to see the person who has perpetrated the heinous act that many of these movies begin with. I'm a sucker for them. Like, the, you know, I, I talk about the movie Taken occasionally. Ah, oh, good grief. Have you seen The Equalizer? Oh, my gosh. Uh, they're a little bloody. You probably shouldn't watch them. But, um, but I love the justice that is exacted. And I, I love the idea of the perpetrator being communicated with before they lose their life. Before Denzel Washington does this, like, you know, just like, just like, kills him. I mean, and, and he tells 
he, he essentially tells this perpetrator, like, this is what you've done. And this guy says, you better watch out. And he says, no, you better watch out, that, that kind of thing, you know. And then it's just like, bam. See, here's the thing that we love. We love to hear or we love to say, we love to talk about, you sold me. You sold me. All of social media and what they're calling cancel culture and things like that. When someone is a wrongdoer, you are canceled. Celebrities, businesses, public figures, you're canceled. You sold me, you're done. You sold me that it, that's all there is to it. Now, there's, a, there's a, a good side to this on some level. The good side is that sin has been called out. Sin has been called sin. The evildoer has been exposed. That is a good thing. That's a God thing. The evildoer has been exposed. But the problem is this, is that it often leads to hatred, anger, revenge, bitterness, and ultimately despair. See, our, our culture has never been more able to say, you sold me. You are the wrongdoer. Our culture has never been more able to call sin actually sin. There's repeated examples of this. We've been able to say, you sold me, you sold me, you sold me. And to call it out for what it is. But see, Joseph adds something else to this, which is critically important. And he says, but God sent me. You sold me, but God sent me. See, Joseph knows something. Joseph knows about his great-great-grandfather, Abraham, and the call on his life. You see that in Genesis chapter 12, and, and really through many chapters there, but Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 17. When it talks about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, and all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed in and through you, Abraham. And kings and a country is going to come from you, and this people group is going to come out of you and, and out, of, out of who you are, out of your family. And so he says, that's what's going to take place. And Joseph knows that. And then, as I said last week, Joseph had that dream. And so Joseph sees the future. Joseph sees the promises of God. Joseph saw what God was doing. Joseph knows that God has already told him the end of the story. God has already made a promise about what's going to happen. And so what does Joseph do? Joseph continually has this lifestyle, which we said last week, which is he has this habit of his mind. One commentator said, Derek Kidner, the habit of his mind was to acknowledge God over and over again. It was to acknowledge God and his ability to work in any situation. And so Joseph made it through this situation, but with this habit of his mind, knowing that God is in this and God is working. And now here he is, 
He's in front of the very perpetrator. See, it's one thing to say, what, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger, and I'm going to get through this, and to gird up your loins, you're better than this. Most sports commercials are like this. I think I saw an icy hot commercial with Shaq the other day saying, you can do this, you, can't, you don't feel pain. Just be stronger and use a little bit of icy hot, that kind of thing. That's what our culture says. We can make it through that, but then when we come into contact with the perpetrator, when we come into contact with that person, what is there for us to do but to exact revenge, to live in hatred, to live in anger, to live in bitterness, and ultimately to allow despair to hit our lives? See, I mean... I think it's kind of a bad example because most of us are not serial killers. Most of us have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing and I'm really hoping that all of us in this room do not struggle with that, okay? But the truth is, is that all, that's, that's like a far-reaching example of what's actually happening in all of our hearts. Why is our world falling apart? Because we're really good at saying, you sold me. But we're not good at saying that God sent me. We're really good at saying, you sold me. And so if it's a parent that has wronged you and didn't do for you what you thought they should have done for you, you get in their face and you tell them, you sold me. Or you give them the silent treatment and you live in anger and bitterness. Or it, it's, it's, it's just living in that, that sense of entitlement that, like, I should never have been treated like this. And so there's this, this constant underlying bitterness to our life. When we say things would have been so different if I hadn't, if that had not happened to me. Look at Joseph's life. I had a dream that I should be uh, in charge of my brothers, and perhaps he knew the interpretation, which is, hey, Joseph, you're going to be uh, a great star. And I would, that would have happened. That's what God's plans were for me if my brothers had not stepped in and sold me into slavery. And that may have happened to you. Like, everything would have been so great. I would have been such an awesome person. I would have done so many things. If only this had not taken place, yet it totally misses God's call, God's work, God's call on your life, God's work in the world, and his ultimate plan of redemption. It totally misses it. And so what we do is instead of saying, okay, I believe that God is ultimately and finally in control, we always look back in bitterness and we say, that should never have happened to me. You sold me, you sold me, you sold me. But the problem with that is, is that it just allows bitterness, resentment, and ultimately despair. Our world is despairing because people cannot seem to let go of the things that have happened in their past. They have no way of resolving that. There's no good that could come out of that abuse, that difficulty, that situation. There's no way that that could happen. And so we think this, God's plans have been thwarted, or Mother Nature, or the universe, or whatever 
people think. The plan has been thwarted. I had such high hopes. People had such high hopes for me. But instead, they lived their lives in despair. And many times, many of us are still living as children. We're still living as a child. Because we're always looking back to our, our parents or to somebody who did something to us. And let's be really honest here. Those are real abuses. Don't ever hear me say that I'm minimizing what has happened to you. There's many of you in this room that ha horrific things took place in your life. It's not that that doesn't matter. They did sell you. They did, whatever they did to you, that did happen. That is sin. That is true. But as long as you look back on the hurt that happened in your, in your past and you continue to sit in bitterness, you will always be left with only despair. And our world is despairing. And we can see that in the movies that we watch and the things that we want to see happen. We can see a world that's despairing that hopes for somebody who is so smart that they know exactly how this is going to go. And that can only be the person like Denzel Washington that knows exactly where, what aisle they're going to go down so he can shoot them with a nail gun or something like that. We want that want that person, but that person is God. And so he says, you sold me, but God sent me. But see, there's another way to look at this, and that is ultimately this. We talk a lot about the sin that's been done to us, but we rarely talk about the sin that's been done by us. Our world is really good at calling out everyone else's sin, really good at posting on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram about somebody else that's offended them. But no one is fully aware that in someone else's life, I sold you. We're not aware, we're not self-aware of our own shortcomings and of our own problems, of our own kids that we're screwing up, or we point the finger at our parents, or we point the finger at somebody in our life, in our past, a job, a, a, a boss, whatever it is. We're really good at identifying everyone else's sin, but we're never really good at identifying the sin that's been done by us. See, the way out of being able to forgive other people and being able to trust in God that God is the one who sent me, God is the one who allowed this to take place in my life. The only way that you can get over that is if you first deal with the reality that I'm not Joseph. See, Joseph is a Christ figure. He is not Christ. He is not perfect, but he is a type of Christ. The reality is that I am not Joseph. I'm actually the brothers. I'm just one of the brothers. 
And as a brother, I'm sitting here looking at my life and I'm saying, the, the reason why this is happening is because of that sin that I perpetrated against that person back then, and I'm not forgetting about it. And it still comes up in my life. As bad things happen to me, I think, oh man, God's getting me back. But the truth is, the reason why that's taking place is because I've never dealt with the reality that it's not the sin that's been done to me as much as it is the sin that's been done by me. It's not so much that I've been sinned against. What's really causing problems in my life is that I am the one who's committed sin. And here's the thing. What Joseph knows is this, is that even in the midst of this disaster, it is planned by God and that God is working in and through that. See, Jesus says something very similarly in John 18, verse 11. Peter pulls out his sword to defend Jesus and Jesus says this. He says, Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Peter says, I want to fight back. And Jesus says, no, this is what the Father has intended for me. See, Joseph is a little bit like Jesus. But Jesus is definitely the better Joseph. Like I said, we're not Joseph. We're more like the brothers. And so here's Jesus, and he's essentially saying that this is what the Father has for me. This is what the Father has sent me for. And he's talking about going to the cross. And so what Joseph says to his brothers is very similar to what Jesus says to us. Joseph says to his brothers again in chapter 45, verse 4, it says, So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. Here we stand as a brother, and all of a sudden, God has awakened in our mind the reality that it's not the sin that's been done to me, it's the sin that's been done by me. And all of a sudden, what is brought it before my eyes is being confronted fully with my sin because the one that I've sinned against is standing in front of me, and he is the ruler over all. And he has the power of life and death in his fingertips. But do you see the tenderness that makes Joseph like Jesus a little bit? Joseph says, come near to me, please. Jesus tenderly says to us, won't you come to me? All you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says that to you. He says, won't you come to me? You're weary and you're heavy laden from the reality that you're, you've been carrying your sin with you. Something happens and you, you immediately begin to think, that's why this is taking place. I know it. it's because of that thing. And Jesus says, come near to me. 
Look at what else Joseph says. It sounds so much like Jesus. And they came near. And let me just say something on that. Jesus' invitation is to you to come near to me. And you must make steps towards him. He's calling you. If you hear him, if you hear his voice, you've got to walk to him. You've got to obey. Come near to him. What's that mean? It means opening up your life to him. It means saying, I want to be with God's people. I want to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. So what do they do? They come near to him. And he said, I am your brother Joseph. It says in Romans 8, 29, that Jesus is the, the first of many brothers. Joseph says, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And when we come near to him, and Jesus comes to us and he says, he says this, all of the things that you remember and even the things that you don't, I am the one that you sold into slavery. I am the one that you crucified. I am the one who was sinless, and yet your sin put me on the cross. Your sin put me on the cross. You sold me. And he says in verse 5, And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. See, many people, they hear the reality of their sin. I sat with a man one time who had had an affair on his wife. And in some ways I regret having said this, but I remember speaking to him about Jesus and, and, and working towards bringing him to a realization. Of the, the reality is that he was looking for Jesus in this affair. He was looking for ultimate fulfillment in this. And I brought to him and I said, listen, all of the breakdown in your marriage, everything that's gone on is ultimately a result of the way that you've led your family. And he broke down and he cried and he wept. I'm in a restaurant and I'm just going, oh man, what did I do? And he's weeping. And what is it? It's distress and it's anger with himself because he realized the truth, but he never came to Jesus. He's confronted with the reality of his sin, but he never goes to Jesus. Joseph's words to his brothers are similar to Jesus' words to us. And he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. See, ultimately God's plan is not just about Joseph's life all the way from the time of Abraham. But it's from the beginning of time. It says in Ephesians that from the foundations of the world that this was planned. God's plan of redemption is worked out all the way through the Old Testament into the life of, of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says this, you sold me. Your sin put me on that cross. But God sent me. And he sent me here to save you. He sent me here to preserve you. The comfort to Israel was that God still works through the evil deeds of humanity. And that remains true. God 
is not dead. God is very much alive, and he is still working in America and all over the world. His plans have not been thwarted because of mass shootings. But his plans have also not been thwarted because of your sin in your life. His plans have not been thwarted because you've refused to acknowledge him. His plans have not been thwarted because you can't let go of your guilt. He says, you sold me, but God sent me. Jesus is the sent one of God. He is God in the flesh, and he went to the cross for you and for me so that we don't have to be distressed or angry, so that we don't have to be filled with revenge, so that we don't have to be filled with bitterness, because ultimately, because of Jesus' saving of us, and we see the promises of God worked out in the life of Abraham, we see the promises of God worked out in the life of Joseph, we see the promises of God in Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, and we continue to believe that his promises are true. What do we come to our world with? Because we talk about loving Jesus, which is part of what we've been talking about here, but we also talk about living outward. How do we live outward with this knowledge? We live with the knowledge that there's a better way. That there's a better way rather than living in despair, rather than living in bitterness, rather res than residing with the desire to get revenge or, or to have anger and hatred towards other people the way that our world does so well. It works its way out on social media as well as in a Walmart down in El Paso or a street in Dayton, Ohio. God is able to overcome the bitterness, the despair, all of those things because we are first confronted with the reality that I sold him and you sold him. We're just as bad as the brothers, but God sent him for me and for you. And in that comes great forgiveness as we're able to say, I don't have a leg to stand on. Jesus went to the cross for my bitterness, my anger, my hatred. And so therefore, I can allow my bitterness, my anger, my hatred, and ultimately my despair to go by the wayside because Jesus has loved me. And he is ultimately and finally in control. Let's pray. Lord God, there's, there's so many ways that as I even listen to myself talk that I, that I realize that in my past is anger and bitterness in, in various ways. And Lord, I know that you bring those things up to me periodically. Ultimately, what I need is to recognize that you have every reason to be angry and bitter toward me 
and yet you loved me. You came and you died for me. And so Lord, I'm praying that I would claim that as my own. And Lord, I'm praying for those that are here this morning that are suffering under the, the weight of the despair that comes from having been wronged or sinned against. Lord, may each of us who feels like that understand where our own sin is and realize that you went to the cross for that. Lord Jesus, may we live in the rest that comes from having received your redemption. May we live in the rest that helps us believe that you've got this, that you've got this under control. That life isn't taking off in some direction that you're surprised about. God, you are not caught off, re, uh, off guard this last week when those shootings took place. Lord, you knew the evil that would take place there. Lord, we're praying for our, our nation. Lord, we're praying for I don't know what else to pray for, revival, a return to your word, a recognition of what sin is or, or that there even is sin. Lord, we pray for the leaders. Lord, we pray that you'd give them wisdom. Lord, we pray for first responders who put themselves in harm's way. Lord, we pray for the families that are affected by these things which is really all of us. Lord, may we turn to you. May you be everything to us because you are sovereign. You are finally in control and you affect our salvation. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Every Sunday we talk about the gospel and we talk about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And we relive it by going to the Lord's table. There's two tables in this room here and they have a, a cracker and some juice.